Anthony Romeo from Wise Up. As promised, we're talking with Shen Milson and Wilkie's principal, Bob McFarlane. For those of you who missed our first episode, shame on you. In any case, Bob provided our listeners on where data centers started and how they evolved. One takeaway, cat videos consume an enormous amount of power. Have a listen to part two of Wise Up as Bob explains from his professional experience where he sees the data center practices going. Bonus round, roughly about how much power does an email use? Be sure to comment, like, and share on our social media channels. And stream Wise Up wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. We cannot thank you enough for your likes, comments, and shares. I'm Anthony Romeo. This is Wise Up, and do check us out when you get a chance, because the stuff above the ceiling and behind the walls matters. What's your take? Well, the take is you're absolutely right. It, it's growing by leaps and bounds, and that's partly because we're demanding it. We are demanding faster and faster, easier and easier access to more and more and more communications ability and data. Um, something people don't realize. When you send an email, the average email uses five watts of power. By the time it goes through all of the different data centers that it, it passes through, jumping from place to place for you to send that email across the country or across the world, on average, it's using five watts of power. You mean Multi it's not magic? No, <laughs> multiply that out. Um, storing videos is even worse. And in a, in a presentation I've done on the uh, energy efficiency standard, I've kind of jokingly referred to uh, data centers being more important than storing people's cat pictures. Um, I have no objection to cats, uh, <laughs> but- I'm allergic, uh, I don't care. <laughs> but, but the fact is that storing all of these photographs, storing all of these videos, which are far, far, far worse, is using enormous amounts of electricity enormous amounts. And this is where um, we're, we're going to run into a problem. Um, the industry has been able to year after year produce servers with higher processing power, faster processing speeds that also use less energy. That's coming to an end. The, the technology has been pushed to the point where it can't go any further. And um, I'm lucky enough to sit in committees with people who are um, at levels so far beyond me uh, in the know. They're in touch with, with the highest levels of people who are developing the latest things. And even though they can't talk about many of those things that are coming, they can tell you in general what is not happening or what is coming. Right. And what is not coming is the ability to make another quantum leap um, in accomplishing huge amounts of processing without using much electricity. That occurred many years ago when uh, a, new, a new transistor technology was developed, but nothing is on the horizon. Lots of things have been talked about but according to the people in the know, nothing's on the horizon. So we're getting to the point where 
we somehow or other have to generate a lot more electricity to support these data centers. The other problem is water. All that electricity produces heat, enormous amounts of heat. Right. And getting rid of it requires big air conditioning systems. This is why ASHRAE TC 9.9 developed uh, new approaches using higher temperatures. When I mentioned my first computer room at Colorado State University when I was a student, that it was like a refrigerator. Well, today we are pushing people to use higher inlet temperatures to the equipment. At, for a long time, we were at 55 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, people wore jackets and sweaters in computer rooms. Right. Today, we're pushing for temperatures approaching 80 degrees. It's a big difference. To reduce the power consumption. To reduce the power consumption. Right. Yes. So what, what's your take on then like Microsoft or and or Google who um, in recent years, they've been, you know, basically building these container data centers and then dropping them into the sea? Um, uh, there are lots of things being, being looked at in order to solve this cooling problem. It doesn't solve the power problem. I mean, if we reduce the amount of cooling, the cooling power is, is significant compared to the processing power. So we can reduce the, the power consumption, but we're still using all this computing. So regardless of what they're doing, if they're cooling them with seawater, which is a real problem that's being researched right now with regard to corrosion, right? Um, no matter what we're trying to do, it's going to take electricity and a lot of it. Um, we are trying to do more things air-cooled. We're trying to do more things with what's called free cooling, which means using the outside air. This is one of the reasons we raised the temperature limits um, and manufacturers started building equipment that could handle higher temperatures. But we are also going more to liquid cooling. We can't cool with air anymore. The temperatures are just too high. We have to maintain the temperatures of the processors inside those computers at a certain level or they burn themselves up. These things are extremely sensitive. So if we can't maintain cooling, those things are either gonna burn up or they now contain hundreds of sensors so that if the temperature rises too much too quickly, they shut themselves down for self-preservation. They're just too expensive to let them, you know, just destroy right. themselves. So um, everything that's happening is a push toward reducing energy consumption and managing to reduce the cooling loads and to reduce the amount of water that's needed to cool. Uh, these are the big pushes today. The other thing that we're pushing for is heat reclaim. We're, we're generating so much heat in these data centers, we're trying to reclaim it and use it to heat the building or something. Um, one way or another, we've got to be more efficient. And the more that we as users demand more access to technology, more processing power, faster uh, processing speeds, when we, when we get upset that the computer doesn't respond to us instantly, right. what we're really saying is um, we want a faster computer behind what we're doing. And if you double 
if you if you double the increase in processing speed without doing anything else, you will multiply the power consumption by eight. So, um, well, you were saying when you sent an email before, the email itself takes five watts. You said, on on average across on the average. entire network, you consume five watts of power. Wow. So, how many emails do you send a day? A lot. <laughs> okay, how much power are you using? And then multiply that by everybody in the world. You know, some people that are listening to this episode, they're saying they, they want to do a green initiative. So they're going to work less and send less emails <laughs> because they're, they want to reduce their carbon footprint. <laughs> well, and as we know, there's a lot of greenwashing going on too. Uh, <laughs> things that are supposed to be green, but in reality, they're really not. Oh, yeah. Um, I, that's, a, that's a whole other show that, that yeah. I can go on and on and on and on. Well, Google got caught on that when they were pushing a, a new data center, I can't remember where, and said they were going to run it on solar. Uh, nobody succeeded in doing that yet. And it turned out that they were running the building offices on solar, but the power for their data center, which was the ma majority, was going to come from a plant using coal-fired um, yeah. generators. So uh, you got to be careful what you, what you put out there. It was it Benjamin Franklin that said moderation at all. I mean, that's that's what it boils down to. We're looking yeah. at, you know, driving everything into one area is going to upset Mother Mother Earth. You know, that's yeah. that's bottom line. Um, you know, being in the United States Navy, I, I've been on nuclear powered vessels and you know, those ran for twenty-five plus years without any refurbish. Uh, versus the the old diesel engines, you know. So there is alternative energies that we've known that we've been speaking about, and and in in previous episodes as well as on uh, other articles that I've read um, that are driving whether you say solar, um, seawater for cooling, um, but nuclear and other types of uh, energies that are out there, hydrostatic and, you know, wind turbine. There's so many things that in the future, I hope there is some, um, somebody that, that brings the reins in. And like you were saying about the board that you sit on, it's not just about, you know, getting a check for designing a project. You're, you're meeting with a collective group of people that care about the industry and are hoping to, um, you know, better it for the next generation. And, and it's it's very important that we understand, you know, the, the flaws that we make, the, the accidents that happen today have consequences tomorrow, right? And all too often people don't, don't care. And, um, you know, we get the wool pull all over our eyes as society, you know, it has nothing to do with the United States of America. It's globally. We're we're global, a global yeah. we're a global economy. Um, you know, whether it be wherever part of the world you live in, you're going to need a network infrastructure to support your needs, whether it be the day-to-day -day function or mm -hmm. cat videos, as Bob pointed out before. Uh, <laughs> I I was um I was privileged to work with another consultant firm uh several years ago and we did 
a um, a healthcare summit and uh, healthcare we've talked about all the the digital influence within the data center, um, all the different uh, applications that they were using to make the hospital experience a lot more um, easier to to from the patient experience, improving the patient's experience. I forget what the um, survey is, but every time you go into a hospital, you're getting a survey tablet now, and they'll say, you know, what was your experience like? And they'll have a series of questions. Well, going back several years ago, this was five or six now, and uh, we did a uh, we conducted this seminar with hospital folks from hospital special surgery in New York City, and um, was it Cornell? No, it was New York Presbyterian. I'm sorry, and uh, which is associated with Wild Cornell. Well, right, it's the same, but uh, the title yeah. for the person that we had was on that the uh, Presbyterian. Nonetheless, mm-hmm. um, they were talking about in the first half of the um, conference about all these wonderful things that they're bringing to help create a better uh, patient experience. And the second half of that present uh, conference, rather, we had cybersecurity expert, uh, the FBI head of cybersecurity task force, um, talking about you're providing all these doors and windows, whether you like it or not, Mm-hmm. So when it comes to the network and the safety of HIPAA laws and and just patient com- confidentiality o- overall, and and uh, not to mention the billions of dollars that transactions that happen through um, you know the medical field, you're kind of opening a can of worms. But it, what I look back at it, it's only five six years ago, and all the people that were at the hospital that were speaking about doing the improving the patient's experience, they were very apprehensive when it came to telemedicine. And they were basically doing, you know, no way that that's not going to be needed. We're going to put satellite campuses <laughs> all over the place so that if you want to be treated by, well, well, Cornell, New York Presbyterian, and you live in you know, far, far off place, we'll have a satellite office for you. We're not going to talk to you on the video screen and and diagnose you. And then this thing called COVID comes into play, you know, three years ago. And that changed the world, right? Um, I was actually, I was actually at my own annual physical with my doctor. And I was asking him from you know, my business perspective, like from an infrastructure, I said, how many telehealth calls are you doing now? And he's like, oh my God, he says, I never had time before, but now I have no time. (laughs) So he he says, "I, I see the benefits of it, but you know, you have people scheduling appointments just to say, hey, what's this on my head? You know, or what, what does this feel like? And, you know, more so than ever before, because they have that accessibility but not knowing that there has to be security parameters built into this to help combat all the evil people that are out there. Um, So in a a long way about getting around to you, from a data center practice that you were talking about from a power side, what uh, what things are, 
are best practices from a security standpoint in the data center from hmm. your professional opinion? Well, cybersecurity is not my area. And it's not our firm's area. Right. No. We have a practice in physical security. Phys physical. Emphasize yeah. that we do not deal in cybersecurity. That is such a specialization. And frankly, um, I can't imagine how the people in it sleep at night because they cannot plug all the holes. Right. When something goes wrong, naturally, they're to blame because, right. they, because they didn't uh, manage to plug all the holes. Um, it's it's got to be the most impossible profession. Well, Bob, you had mentioned in the beginning of this uh, talk, uh, you were saying how it's the fundamental. So move it, removing the cybersecurity aspect from the conversation altogether, the physical applications or the design uh, that you implement from a data center, what are some of the things that you think help combat uh, some of the challenges uh, that we face by adding telehealth and all these other things onto into the data center world nowadays? Well, one thing that we do uh, do as part of the data center design practice and process is to recommend and specify um, packages called DCIM or DSIM in the industry, data center infrastructure management. These are software packages and they have all sorts of capabilities. But I think one of the best capabilities today from the, the standpoint you're discussing right now is that they can monitor all of your hardware as well as monitoring the, the software industry and alert you when a server um, has not been updated with the latest patch. Um, most of the of the cybersecurity problems, the real intrusions and exposures of data uh, with financial institutions in particular, have been because updates were not done. Now, when you have thousands of devices doing all those updates, yes, updates can be pushed to a lot of them simultaneously, but updating all those devices and keeping track of it can be a problem. People are so overloaded and there just aren't enough real computer experts out there. Um, when we're talking about the operations people in data centers, they are so specialized. They specialize in certain aspects of the network, certain operating systems, certain this, certain that. There aren't enough of them to go around. Right. So the result is you're gonna have holes and anything you can do to automate it and AI, artificial intelligence, is becoming an important aspect of these data center infrastructure or DSIM packages um, to make sure that everything you have is as up-to-date as possible. That is becoming very important. So people who say, well, it, it's, it's an expensive package, it's expensive stuff, I can't afford to invest in it, uh, they can't afford not to. Right. It's, it's as simple as that. That's usually the, the case, right? Until yeah. something happens, then everybody thinks to do it. And the same thing is true for many other aspects of the data center itself. If people are looking at co-hosting sites, if they're looking at um, you know, cloud processing centers and who they, who they want to contract with, 
they should be looking at a number of different things. Um, you mentioned reliability and, and you specifically said redundancy. One of the biggest problems we have today is people designing data centers basically the way they designed them 30 years ago. They're not up to date. Uh, they don't realize how complex these things have gotten. Um, they have just gone completely into the stratosphere in terms yeah. of the amount of knowledge you need. And um, I have done, I've walked into too many data centers and done analyses where millions of dollars have been spent on redundant hardware, redundant equipment. But the person who designed it has left flaws in the designs where that redundant equipment will be useless when it's actually needed. Um, right. it's, it's terribly unfortunate, but it requires such a degree of specialization today to design these facilities correctly. Um, the, the other one is fire protection. Um, data center fires are rare, but when they occur, they're absolutely devastating. So you've got really two things here. One is if you're gonna spend all this money on redundancy, make sure it works. It has to be designed properly. It has to be tested properly. It has to be looked at by people who are really experts in mission critical design, which is not normal design by any stretch of the imagination. And second, you just can't pretend that data center fires are rare. Therefore, I don't have to spend the money for true protection. We have systems today that are called aspirating smoke detection systems. They sample the air. They can detect the start of a fire way before any fire protection uh, system activates. And you can go in with handheld extinguishers and solve the problem and, and stop it. Before, before it gets out of hand. Before oh, it gets out of hand. Brilliant. These, these systems are cheap. I mean, I did, did one data center. It wasn't a huge one, but it was a big enough. And that whole system cost $5,000. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing of just like proper fire stopping, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. and, oh, yeah. and containment. I mean, it's in the uh, big scheme of things, when you're doing an entire data center, what's the cost of a quality, you know, STI sleeve or some putty that they make, you know, right. it's, it's pennies yeah. in comparison to what you what would be at stake what would be lost if not properly done. You know, just taking that extra that extra step. It's not even an extra step. It's frankly, it's it's code. It, it's, <laughs> it's code, right? And it's and but requirement. All too often, at least I've known, I've walked into IDFs, MDFs, and data centers in my short career, and I said it's not grounded, it's not bounded, it's it's not properly fired, stopped. It has poor cable management, so it's reducing airflow, it's creating yeah. more heat, it's loading power, and it's yada, yada, and on and on and on and on and on and on and goes. You've, you've hit on so many of them. Um, yeah. And, and people think grounding is simple. It's not. We're not talking about National Electric Code grounding requirements for safety. We're talking about grounding for um, really high-speed networks and high-speed signals don't go around corners. They'll go along the surfaces of the wires. 
So you can't have sharp bends. And the electricians like to make these nice, pretty sharp bends in the grounding system, and they might as well not waste the money on the copper. Uh, every little detail, detail, after detail after detail counts. And it's all to support all of that computing power and all that huge amount of investment in computing equipment and the even more valuable data. That data value is, is you, you can't put a number on it. Well, back, back to the fundamentals, right, Bob? Yeah, back to fundamentals. So that, back to the fundamentals on the data center. I'm talking with Bob McFarlane from Shen Milson Wilkie. Um, as he pointed out, there's too many data centers, particularly small ones, that are still designed and operated much as they were 30 plus years ago. And so it's just getting down to the basics, you know, and understanding you can't cut corners. Mm -hmm. Cutting corners could cost many, many, many dollars or worse than that, lives. Mm -hmm. So you're listening again to Anthony Romeo Wise Up. Um, could be streamed on however you stream. <laughs> we thank you for uh, your time and listening to our show. As again, it's a five-star show rated to check us out uh, however you stream your podcast. Um, Bob, um, one last question for you uh, before I let you go, uh, get back to doing one of the 37 jobs you do in a day. This is going to be <laughs> the, ringer, the ringer question, right? <laughs> what? <laughs> What do you see, uh, you know, like I, I, I'm sitting down and listening to you for the last, you know, 50 minutes, whatever, and you're telling me when, when you started out, you know, the speeds were X. So that was quite a while ago. In the next several decades, what do you think we, what do you think we are going to anticipate? What do you think is going to oh, be on right. the horizon? Put a, take out the crystal ball, huh? Yeah, take out the crystal ball for this one. Well, speeds are going to keep going up. Right. And thankfully, they can. They can because most everything today is fiber optics. And fiber optics are at the speed of light. Um, and as far as we know right now, we can't exceed that. So um, <laughs> until we get up to those kinds of speeds, uh, the problem is we can't switch the data as fast as the fiber optics can transmit it. So we're gonna keep trying to find ways to switch that data faster. And it's all a matter of, of switching. This is, this is a matter of switching between ones and zeros as fast as you can. That's where data speeds um, occur. So we can transmit it if you can provide it. Right. The, problem, and the problem is that we still can't provide it uh, but we keep getting faster and faster and faster. And as we as we continue to go faster, and and we will go faster. I agree with you 100%. It's still going to be down to the basics. Well, right? the 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 thing that has been on the horizon supposedly for I don't know. I'm going to say 25 or 30 years that I've been hearing about it and hearing people talk about it. Um. And someday I'm sure it's going to occur. And that is a, a biometric or um, atomic level operation of some kind. Uh, we're, we're, something is going to replace the transistor. We are going to find 
some genius, maybe working in his garage right now, right. is going to figure out a way to deal with this stuff the same way that we deal with it in our own bodies. The brain is unbelievable. We haven't been able to duplicate it yet. It's an amazing thing, the human Some, brain. Someday, and I have, to, I have to say, quite frankly, I find it a little scary. Um, when, if we can actually recreate the brain, so to speak, and use it as a, as a processor uh, and storage system for data. Um, you talk about the bad actors out there. I hate to think, you know, what can actually happen. Um, I'm not sure we'll ever figure out how to control people. Um, and when we put more power in their hands, they always seem to find a way to use it wrongly. But one way or another, we're not gonna solve today's demand for data, today's demand for speed, today's demand for storage, the same way that we're solving it today. We keep getting better and better, but um, solid state storage, we thought would take over spinning disks. Well, in many ways it has, but we have managed to go to very, very high density spinning disks. They are so high density that um, too much vibration causes them to fail. So now we're in data centers, we're dealing with shock absorbing cabinets. And if a gas fire suppression system goes out, goes off, the noise level from that fire suppression discharge destroys those disks. And you know, beyond terabytes of data along with it. So, um, Everything that we develop brings with it a new problem. Right. But we could only, we, we keep saying, well, we can't get it any faster. We can't get it any more dense. We are to the point with nano electronics uh, for computer chips where um, we, we can't get the computer chips any smaller. Uh, we're to the point where the conductors are so small that you can't get them any closer together. Um, nanoelectronics just, you know, has pushed us to the limits. So somebody's going to have to come up with something new, something different. I don't right. know what it's going to be. I don't know if it'll be in, in my remaining lifetime, but, um, there no, will, it, it, that's why you got to pay it forward. Right. So it'll what happen you're doing or, as we'll, a... or we'll hit a brick wall. <laughs> exactly. So again, uh, Bob, Bob McFarlane folks, um, Principal at Shen Milson Wilkie, an uh, international integrated technologies consulting firm um, with five interrate related disciplines. He was today focused and talking about his experience within the data center. But they, if you are in need of some assistance from a design application in acoustics, audiovisual, multimedia, physical, physical security medical equipment planning, do feel free to reach out to SMW as they have a lengthy experience, not just with Bob, many great people there. Bob, I thank you so much again for joining us on Wise Up. And uh, I look forward to uh, meeting you in person one of these days. That would be very nice. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure. All right. Well, from all of us at Wise Up, we thank you all again for listening. 
however you stream. Again, thank you. Feel free to comment us on our social media pages. Um, we, we'd love to hear uh, any feedback that you have for our guest today and or uh, previous guests. So from Anthony Romeo, wise up. Thank you all. <laughs>